0: You are listening to an Irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.
1: Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world.
0: We also know that being in community with one another on this journey Will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world.
1: We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encojunto or Togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi folks, this is Dr. Robin.
0: And this is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for all of us to get our hands dirty. Pastor Dr. Robin. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Guess what? What? I am wearing as I always do one of your shirts. And it's the shirt of an image of Jesus that says I didn't say that. Truly,
0: I never said that.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and today I had an in-person meeting which I almost never do mm-hmm. for lots of reasons. Delta Demon variant being one. <laughs> but only one? <laughs> um, but I had an in-person meeting today with someone that we'll talk about later. And at the coffee shop that I went to, they said, I like your shirt. So I just want to let you know you're making an impact.
0: Aw, thanks. Yeah. I um, I made a shirt yesterday. I designed a brand new shirt yesterday that... um made me laugh out loud that was highly inappropriate that didn't have anything to do with Jesus. Um, And I'm trying to debate whether I should talk about it. I should. And it's like a vintage 1950s lamb. Like, you know, those old like little children oriented lammy paintings that you might see on wallpaper or like framed in someone's room. Yeah. Um, And it says nobody likes a twat waffle. (laughs) is juxtapositioning the retro with the um, snark. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's what know. you do.
0: I, I do. I don't know if anybody's going to find that funny. And people may send me all kinds of tweets about it. But anyway, it's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> I might wear one at the Wild Goose because yeah. I just think it's funny AF. So
1: I'll have to get that one, too. I know, right? To add to my repertoire.
0: To add to your collection. Yeah.
1: Which I was informed we no longer have any hangers to hang my shirts.
0: Well, now I will I will say when you left my home um maybe 6 weeks ago with a big yep. old stack, a new stack of of bias and bourbon wear, I said to you, do you have enough drawer space for all of these new shirts? Mm-hmm. And you, you said, "Oh, it doesn't matter." Um, I hang my tees, and so I have space. It's Mm -hmm, fine. mm -hmm. And so now. Now we we know the truth. Now we know the truth. Now you don't have the
1: space. Um, And I only know this because I was not hanging up the laundry.
0: (laughs) I should have asked your partner if you have space for all the new shirts that I'm going to give you. Yeah. Um, and let them be the judge of my, uh, my, you know, contribution to your wardrobe. Well, that just needs—we just need to get more hangers. I mean, that's the only. We have space. We just oh, don't okay. need more hangers. Okay, so you, d- so you do have space, but not hangers. Okay, good. So that doesn't mean you have to get rid of shirts in no. order to fit others. You just have to have more ways to hang them. Okay, yeah. well, that's that's fine. That's an easy. That's an easy solution. Yeah, that's a target order. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Well, I love that you're wearing my shirts. You wear my shirts all the time and I love that you wear them. And I always am very happy when I see you wearing one of them.
1: Now, do you have feelings that I also wear t-shirts from Mahogany Mommies?
0: Oh, no. I mean, I wear, I wear, I mostly wear t-shirts that aren't mine. I mean, I want to support, I want to support all of the great t-shirt makers in in the in the country in the world i i think that there i think that we have we are we do not showcase the talents and um kind of creativity of enough people and i firmly believe that you should be wearing creativity as much as you are sharing creativity and so we should try to have the mahogany mommies on sometime
1: i love that because i think she used to work uh at a school and she quit her school gig to make t-shirts full time. I mean, I just would love to have that story.
0: I'd love that too. I, I'm here for it. Um, yeah, I love it. I think there's plenty of room for all of us to creatively express our perspectives uh, on, in whatever we wear. And that, I mean, that goes as far as, you know, people that, like, I mean, I've re- I like to wear my sports teams on my yeah. chest sometimes. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm wearing my my amazing um, uh, Clackama, Clack, Clackamas, Clackamas, <laughs> UCC. I can never say that word. That, that city. Yeah. I'm wearing that shirt right now that says the gospel is anti-fascist.
1: Oh, and yeah. I get lots of comments
0: on that. Sure. Let me tell
1: you. Oh, speaking of speaking of fascism, mm-hmm. I just saw a tweet um, as I as I often I, I look at Twitter a lot. It's my most abusive relationship that I've it been is. in. It is. But I just saw a tweet by Professor Fleming that said the Republic, the Republicans are close to taking over. This entire thing. Now, I, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I vote right. Democrat because it's the better of two evils. Right. But um, speaking of fascism, the rise of a dictatorship is probably not far off in our future. And that yeah, that's very scary. But that's not what we're talking about today, but I just want to mention that.
0: It's not, but can I, can I share with you my favorite tweet from today since we're doing that and then we can move on to uh, something else. So um, Ellie Mestal, who is um, just a really amazing justice correspondent um, tweeted out this video of this little monkey uh, walking across the road and picking up a face mask and putting it on properly And then just kind of walking away. This monkey did this. And the tweet says, tell me you're smarter than Ron DeSantis without telling me you're smarter than Ron DeSantis. (laughs) 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 And I thought I was going to pee myself. I was laughing so hard.
1: (laughs) I've got to find that tweet. Will you send it to me? I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. It made me
0: laugh so hard. I was like, yes, yes, monkey. You do that, monkey. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm probably going
1: to make a TikTok video and um, ask TikTok why people don't want to wear masks. I mean, I I don't know what we're going to do. Um, Tennessee is in a state of emergency.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, we have had, we had a horrible flooding situation that some of you may have heard about um, this past weekend when a really bad storm came through and... Um, and and as tragic as that is, um, and, and I mean, that tragedy was uh, almost virtually impossible to plan for. Right. It, it's something that rises up um, as an emergency and as, you know, a, an incident that is something you just can't, you know, protect yourself against. Um, we have a, a disease that we can all be protected against that we can protect ourselves against and people just aren't doing it i I don't understand it either i'm so confused by it i don't know what to do i don't either i mean dozens of people have been
1: displaced and have died because of the flooding we have a governor who won't issue a mask mandate uh city officials in davidson county are ignoring the governor. I mean, it's a it's a real shit show here.
0: Yeah, it is an absolute shit show. But as we say, as our friend um, Bio says, and as you mention all the time, shit is um, what makes compost, and compost is what regenerates. And so, shit isn't always a bad thing, right? It's just a matter of using that shit and that compost in the right way. And yeah, yeah, our governor isn't doing that. But I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be bright and happy and positive. Is it working? Well, we're
1: we're not we're also not gonna talk about a happy and bright topic. Know, but right? but hopefully hopefully it will bring some levity to people. I hope so. We don't know. Yeah,
0: we we, we um we have both come out in very different ways, come out of uh, faith traditions that have embedded in us a, a sense of trauma, a sense of, um, of 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 knowing that what happened wasn't right. Um, watching the church um, systemically harm those around us, harm us, um, continue to harm others. Um, and today, we're going to talk about church trauma and church harm and the way that the church in, in our instances, our, our local congregations that we were a part of and the institutions that we've been a part of, but also um, the capital C church, how those um, how that, how the institution has harmed people. Yeah. You
1: know, I, when, as, as we venture into this, I'm remembering the very first class I had, with my teacher, Dr. Nancy Bedford, back when I was in seminary, I, I, I arrived a semester before she started um, her faculty post. So I had, you know, I went there to study with her, and then I had to spend the fall semester taking classes without her. And then, and then I took classes with her every subsequent semester. And the first question she asked me, I was wearing a Texas Longhorn shirt, I remember. And, um, that was, that, that was back when I would watch football because football is a religion in Texas and I was heavily, um, entrenched in Mm -hmm. the culture of Texas and Texas football and the religiosity of all that. But the, but the first question that she asked me was where, where do you go to church? And for her... And she would teach this and still probably teaches this church. Maybe one day we'll have her on the podcast. Uh, Church is the best thing we have on earth, but church is not lived out in a way that helps people say that it's the best thing we have on earth. And in fact, church has the
0: opposite.
1: Yeah. Church has caused a lot of pain for both of us. And it, it always surprises me how much time I spend in church because it has been the culprit of so much pain and suffering. I remember during my ordination process years ago that a cis white gay man told me I have an allergy to myself because I didn't identify as gay or lesbian. I identified as queer. And I've always identified as queer. I always have found myself on the outside of normative sexuality and normative gender, and and so even even someone within the L G community, um, who was ordained, still is ordained, Baptist, um, weaponized theology against me in many respects and and i i've been venturing back into some of these evangelical spaces not really evangelical more ex um people who have left the church left normative spirituality normative church understanding uh, who are still trying to find a way to make meaning in the world and and I would say that that's much of what you and I do. We we try to use theology and ethics and culture in a way to make meaning in the world. That's a big part of what activist theology project is. Um, but I but I find it really interesting that I still spend time with people for whom Sunday morning at 10 or 11 o'clock is the best hour of their life. And I'm not real sure what to, how to make sense of that, but I'm also not sure that I need to spend a lot of time dissecting that. I'm being invited into spaces I, I, I was telling someone the other day uh, during the pandemic 1.0 last year, because now I think we're in pandemic 2.0, in, in last year's pandemic, um, I would sometimes preach at two different churches in different places on different time zones, and I find it very curious why someone like me is invited into the pulpit when, when I have been harmed so deeply by the institution, it doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's curious to me that you uh, that you continue to to turn your face towards it. Also, mm. um, yeah. Because you are – you have decided to actively engage um, yeah. with a, a number of – in a number of congregational settings and denominational settings um, in, in an effort to help inform their work mm-hmm. um, and to be a, an agent for meaning-making in their spaces, um, and yet y- you speak very clearly about the trauma that it has been associated with the, the, the last um, several decades of your life. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's both curious to me that you continue to be invited um, because those spaces know of your, your harm and your trauma. It's also curious to me that you continue to um, face it and, <laughs> and kind of step into those spaces to, be a living, breathing manifestation of how trauma can infuse us in ways that then help others see what's possible mm-hmm. in in their lives. Um, so but both, both sides of that are curious to me. Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, I tell people I'm a one-trick pony. All of my degrees are in theology. It's not, it's not true. I mean, you may not say it's true, but... I, about as creative as I am as to twiddle my thumbs but I I digress um, <laughs> I, I find it interesting that um, that for me I find the discourse of theology and ethics so compelling I mean I it's 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 the books that I read every day and and sometimes I'm reading seven different books at one time right and i am so compelled by the field of theology and ethics um, the ways in which people reframe restory and recontextualize the stories of jesus the ethics of jesus it's it's not something i can get away from and this morning i had an an in-person meeting with a therapist uh We're we're friendly. I don't know that we would call ourselves friends because we just met. Um, a, A therapist who was born and raised in Texas and did sort of found herself after having four kids in a postpartum situation and the lights went off around faith and spirituality. It just no longer made sense. She went to seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, a place that I aspired to go to seminary, but because of my gender and sexuality wouldn't have survived there. So I, I went and hung out with your people, the United Methodist up up at Garrett. And, and I found myself sitting there listening to this story. Um, wondering how do we put the pieces back together when we have faced so much trauma and harm and and I guess I I guess I just want to spend some time thinking out loud about that I feel really curious how to bridge together these pieces that, see, that seem almost like a broken mirror with millions of pieces of ourselves and one another, how do we make meaning? You know, one of the things that that I know you've really suffered with over the past year is not being with people. And even though I'm a hermit, there are people I like to be with. And, and, you know, we are social creatures. Courage is social. eating is a social practice, relationship is social. You know, as much as I am a hermit and an introvert and love mon- the monastic life, we are social creatures. And, and I think theology is also social, but how do we make meaning of something that has been weaponized against us and that has harmed so many people?
0: I, uh, I don't know the answer. Uh, what I can say is that, um, I, I echo your, um, your trauma response and, and kind of knowing what that looks like and, and being able to name it. Um, I mean, I had a really, um, simple childhood in the church. I was born of a family whose, uh, Whose perspective was that unless you were, uh, unless you had a fever of 102, you got up on Sunday morning and you put your dress clothes on and you went to church. Mm. Uh, Whether you wanted to or not, it wasn't a choice. There was absolutely no choice in church attendance for me. Um, But even outside of that demand on my time as an adolescent, I don't ever recall um, any, anything that would have made me feel as if church was a scary or a traumatic or an unpleasant place up until I was uh, later into my, into my teen years. And when I was 16 or 17, my congregation for the very first time was appointed a female pastor. And this was in the late eighties and women had been, you know, being ordained in the United Methodist church for 20 years at that point. But my congregation, the the congregation I was born and raised in had never had a female in the pulpit. And I was in the south. And I was in the well, yeah. I mean, I was in Virginia, which is is southern. That's um, still below the mason de line. I know it is, yeah. Um, but I I watched as this congregation of humans who had had really raised me. You know, families, um, couples who were older than my parents some that were my grandparents' age, split and sever in ways Mm. that I never anticipated this family that had raised me would split and sever. over
1: Because of the female pastor?
0: Over the fact that there was a female pastor that had been appointed to this congregation. And it was at that point that I started to question... Both my role in the congregation as mm. a woman who um, was not at that point called to pastoral leadership, but was definitely called yeah. to leadership in the church. I yeah. mean, I was the president of the youth group and I, you know, would, I mean, I i, I helped do whatever. I, I was always involved in things, but I started to question my place in this This family unit that had so protected me I, I was watching it crumble around me and I and I didn't know what to do about it um and that was the first time I really remember thinking to myself there is an imperfection in this. In, in the walls of this building. There, there, is mm. a, there is a crack in the foundation of who we say we are. Mm. If, if people are going to act the way I watched them act upon the arrival of this female pastor. Right. Um, and I think that, I, that, that that recognition stayed with me for a really, really long time because I started to see the imperfections in the denomination that I thought had none that I thought was really, you know, based on my supremacy upbringing, really like the be all end all of denominational, you know, um, faith, faith communities. Yeah. And and then accelerate that to 2018 when, you know, trauma and, 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 harm hit me right between the eyes as I was removed from pastoral leadership in the church. Um, I don't know how we put the pieces back together. I, I also recognize that the kinds of harm that we experienced, um, it extends so much further than anything that we will talk about on this podcast into, right. um, you know, any kind of really horrific things that have happened within the walls of church buildings in the name of God to the bodies and, and brains and hearts of people that might be listening to this podcast. And so I don't want to minimize that harm um, by – not speaking of it, but I also will not speak of it because it's not our experience. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not something that we, that we bring to this conversation or that I bring to this conversation. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious where we move as people of faith, where we move as people who, um, really think Jesus was, Kind of the, the, the guy that we want to emulate ourselves after, or that mm-hmm. had the most um, the most you know going for him as it relates to um, you know faith faith icons that I'm that I'm drawn to. I don't know. I, I don't know. I I do know that um, I I think I would be hard pressed to find anybody who didn't have a story of trauma mm-hmm. related to their faith upbringing which makes me wonder what that says about us as people who are called to be in religious settings. If we are capable of causing harm to absolutely everyone, uh, why the hell do we do this? Why why do we even have these conversations? Why do we even continue to explore a, a positionality of faith and religiosity with one another?
1: yeah I mean, what's the cost benefit analysis? What are we what are we really doing, Those of us who are faith leaders or clergy? I mean, in a couple weeks, I'm gonna do a session with Lenny Duncan and Joe Lumen, mm-hmm. basically around, you know, deconstructing clericalism. I mean, I mean, I think about this and also we had a bishop of the ELCA on our podcast who is repairing harm and leading, right? I mean, I feel like, I I don't feel like this is an either or or a binary that would get us into the same supremacist bullshit that we're trying to see yourself out of but how do we hold the both and i mean i know there are like you some people who will only talk to me or you about their faith issues or about yeah. spirituality right because of the harm right because we model something different than harm but we have the same capacity to harm. And yet we find ourselves in conversations with people, helping people make sense, make meaning out of the ashes, we, we are, in many respects, the proverbs that people seek. That, I mean, that that's crazy to me. very
0: heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So I am participating in um, a pretty robust course right now on something that's called futures literacy. And I don't know, Robin, if you have a any um, understanding of that or have heard, heard of futures literacy before, but um, it's a process by which you really do kind of imagine the future in ways that... Ask you to eliminate your any misgiving or any skepticism you may have around what's possible. Mm -hmm. And as I was a part of this first session, this this futures literacy course is around spirituality, Mm -hmm. and we were we introduced ourselves and kind of in our in our small groups, and we're getting to know one another. And we were asked the question, you know, um, if we were to envision spirituality over the next fifty years, in fifty years, what spirituality will look like compared to what it looks like now? what what is that? And I had a really hard time as oh. a pessimist in this setting. Saying anything that got me past my own skepticism. I named that, you know, supremacy culture has been with us for the last 50 years since mm-hmm. 1971, and which in and of itself is hard for me to believe is 50 years ago. Um, that's <laughs> a totally different conversation. Yeah. Um, but and, and, and trying to envision Our capacity as people of faith to rid our spiritual lives of the things that are so detrimental to it the way we cause harm, the way we minimize our lives in community, the way we lift up um, men over everyone else, right? The way that trauma permeates and we we are incapable of talking about it in spaces that are public for fear of the damage that it will do to ego and reputation mm. all of these things really stood in my way at the beginning of this exercise because i i really did kind of come into that the the first session of that course being very skeptical or feeling as if that question made me wonder about if we have any agency in this at all if we even have the capacity to create a future right or to imagine a future in 50 in 50 years that that looks different than the one that we have been that we have inherited or the one that we have and then the one we have created from that inheritance but i say all that to say that i was surrounded by humans who didn't have the pessimism that I did mm. and had a curiosity around a blend of individual and communal service and spiritual you know I- integration and and humans who were curious around how AI will influence our ability to be with one another in yeah. 50 years. And curious about how many church buildings in 50 years will no longer be church buildings. Mm. Um, you know, will the steeples be used to, to, to house light shows versus bell towers? I mean, all of this really remarkable imagination around right. what's possible. And I and I say all of that because I think that for us to find our way through the trauma that the church has inflicted on so many of us, we are going to have to be able to not only stand in the truth and right. recognize and and repair, you know, act act as reparation partners in the trauma that the church has inflicted, but also to be able to imagine what a trauma free spirituality hey. looks like for us in the future. Wow. Um, it reminds me of that um, Japanese art of um, Kintsugi, uh, where they take broken porcelain bowls and mugs, yeah. and they um i have one build them I made back one. together with yeah. gold um yeah. and this idea of you know embracing the flaws and the imperfections mm-hmm. in a piece in so that it makes the the piece itself even stronger and more beautiful yeah, yeah. Um, And I don't say that to minimize the work that's needed for many of us to actually make it through the trauma that the church has caused us. But I say it because sometimes in the process of repairing the things that we have broken, we actually create something that's much more unique and much Mm -hmm. more imaginative and much stronger in its ability to withhold to, to stand heat and water and and the the you know contents of tea mm-hmm. than we than we had in the first place, which is what I think we're doing
1: with our porch collective work. We're bringing in disparate pieces from all over the world to create a community and to create meaning making. I mean, essentially, it's a church without walls, if you get right down to it. But we're not calling it a church. Um, It's the convening space, the digital convening space of the Activist Theology Project. And hopefully, in some near future, we can convene in person. But, you know, Jackie Lewis posted something about love, love is about endless creativity. And do we have the capacity to practice endless creativity so that we model a more loving world?
0: Right. I love that.
1: I'm thinking about all the people that we're getting out of Afghanistan. And all the people who will be left behind, and and are we being creative in that situation?
0: And this is this is where linguistics is hard. Uh, language is hard. Words are hard. Uh, in the same way that you say, you know, we've created this this online or this digital church space which we're not calling a church because the word church is problematic for yep. many. Um, and, and there's an acknowledgement around that. Um, you know, there's also a problematic nature around the word trauma. Um right. And, and, and in some ways the way that we're using the word trauma in this episode, because mm-hmm. I would venture to say that every single one of us has had a situation in our spiritual journey where, we have been made to wonder, is it worth it? Do we give a shit anymore? Why does this hurt so bad? Right. Why is this so hard? All of those things can manifest themselves into the kind of harmful experience that makes community very hard for us to be able to embrace Mm long-term. And, I think that's ultimately what's important for you and I is this building of community and this capacity to use unlimited creativity um, and to, to be imaginative to the point of, being able to look at those questions we ask ourselves about why does it hurt so much? Why are we, why does this, you know, why is this so hard? Why can't this be the beautiful thing that we thought it was to manifest into something that feels very much a whole and, and present and full and gold filled vessel of, of what's possible.
1: Yeah. I, I, I also like you don't have the answers, but I'm, but I'm struck at the conversation that I had earlier that this new friend is still searching for meaning in her life mm-hmm. and and I am still searching for meaning. And we talked about the importance of embodiment and the importance of somatic wisdom. Yes. We talked about the importance of being connected and being in relationship and, and, you know, I, I still walk away from moments like that saying, I think when done well, theology is the queen of the sciences. Yeah. Because theology is about connection. It is about radical equality. It is about relationship. It is about building a table, a flat table with no head. And it is about abundance. Right. But we have so distorted the story. We've so distorted, we, all of us, I participate in that. Even, even as much as I try to compost right. the harm um, because of my conscription into academia, because of my participation in higher education. You know, I'm not a popular educator. I don't do popular education. I translate theory to action and, and theology to praxis. And and that sometimes harms people, mm-hmm. even, even though, I am trying to do harm reduction work. And how do we hold the both and in such a way that propels us into that futurism that we, that we long to inhabit? Right. I, I don't have the answer.
0: And how do we make ourselves committed to barrierless connection um you know we are we are all so quick to converse around community and relationships and conversation and the deep rootedness of being with one another and yet from an accessibility standpoint that isn't always possible for right. everyone and 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 not just physically, but emotionally and mm-hmm. and um you know from a, a neurotypical standpoint and 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 all of the things that kind of come with reimagining really what it is going to take to remove trauma from the picture and and allow us to be innovative in community in ways mm-hmm. that not just flatten the table, but remove all of the barriers to entry. Right. That's really hard for all of us because yeah. our conscription is that the barriers that we need to remove are the ones that have kept us out, not mm-hmm. the ones that have kept others out. And right. and we so often forget about that Uh, neuro emotional physical and psychological accessibility piece Mm -hmm. to this conversation Um, all of which are informed by the trauma that we bring Mm -hmm. so well this has been a really robust conversation i i was um cautious as we began it because you know you just never know um when we start sharing our stories, how we're going to kind of find ourselves at the end. Yeah. But I think I'm hope filled in that. I do believe that the trauma that the church has caused so many of us is the kind of trauma that can manifest itself into something that builds community in more robust ways not all of us might have the capacity to do that yeah but some will
1: i mean it's about conditions of possibility and how do we nurture the conditions of possibility i think that's that's the work that i want to be about in the world i want to work in the liminal spaces i want to work in the fragments i want to pay attention to bodies I want to pay attention to, you know, I, I, I love to read books because it, it's a, it's an experience. It's a, like a somatic experience for me. I like to feel the texture of the paper. I'm, I'm always very curious when I receive a book, I sort of examine the pages. I mean, I also read the words on the page, but I'm I'm, I'm very <laughs> interested I'm very interested in how the, the book t- feels, tactile nature of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I want to pay attention to those pieces mm-hmm. that often get overlooked, that are often invisibilized by ideas, mm-hmm. because I think the creativity it, it rests in the fragments, it yes. rests in the liminal space, it rests in nepal. Um, and, that, and in many respects, that's where the revolution is. Yes. It has to be. Which we're going to talk about at Wild Goose.
0: We are. Well, friends, thanks for being with us on this episode. We really appreciate that you tagged along and that you stuck with us as we tackled this topic that isn't necessarily one that all of us want to, to talk about. Um, as a reminder, and Robin mentioned this earlier, we have created um, an app, an online space, one that you can kind of carry in your pocket on that smartphone device that so many of you have, where you can be in community and in conversation with not just Dr. Robin and I, but other leaders that are a part of the Activist Theology Project, as well as other Um, folks who are interested in this work and are committed to the same kind of work that we talk about on this podcast every week. We would love for you to join. We would love for you to pop in there and see what we've got going. We are just at the very infant stages of getting this app up and running. But there are spaces that exist right now where you can jump in and join in and engage with us and ask hard questions and share your perspectives on things. And so we would love for you to be a part of that. You can join us online at atporch.com. So AT for activist theology at porch.com. And that will take you directly to the app, which you can either navigate on a web browser, or you can navigate through your smart device through an app button that you can add on your, on your screen. So, don't forget to, to join us in that. We will be heading to the Wild Goose Festival in a week. We will be recording there live, both Dr. Robin and I, as well as our friends with the Irreverent Media Group. There's a lot going on, and we're glad that you're with us. A lot. Uh, we're glad that you're with us on this, and um, we're, we're excited to, to see where all of this goes.
1: As always, it's time to get free. We want to thank you for listening this week. We encourage you to share this podcast with your community. If you enjoy us and our work in the world, please give us five stars on your podcast platform. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.com and click on podcast.
0: We can only do this work with the help of you, our listeners. You have no idea how much even a small monthly or one-time gift means to this work. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray. Our sound editor is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. I get my hands dirty. I show up so early. They show me no mercy. So I just keep working. Maybe God could save me. All my boss might pay me. You are listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends.